Welcome to the next episode of the Awake Asia podcast, where each episode I share topics surrounding health, fitness, entrepreneurship, and conscious living to help you live a fitter, healthier, and more purpose-driven conscious lifestyle. This week, I'm talking to good friend and champion in more ways than one, the amazing woman, Dotsi Bausch, who is spearheading the dairy-free lifestyle. Beyond being an Olympic medalist, she's a force to be reckoned with. In this episode, Dotsi and I discuss how different athletes have performed optimally under a dairy-free diet. In this session, we also explore the ethics of dairy and why we should all switch for good. Beyond that, we also chat about how we can overcome what may seem like insurmountable resistance and challenges to rise and lead a movement that changes lives and saves lives. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the podcast.ca. You have done so much with Switch for Good and you have introduced me to so many incredible people, incredible speakers for the summit. And I was awestruck when I was on stage with Rich Roll and awestruck meeting yourself in person, meeting uh, Rebecca Sony, meeting all the, all the amazing athletes. And it was such a great energy. So thank you for including me into your world, Dotsy. Oh my goodness gracious. That's so lovely. Well, thank you. I mean, it's, we're all just like doing the best we can in our niche to bring the most limelight to, to goodness and compassion and, and, you know, eating with intention. So I'm doing my little bit, you're doing your little bit and all the some parts of everyone doing their little bit. I think we're getting somewhere. You guys have been doing amazing work with the Switch of Good podcast. How many, what episode are you guys into right now? Um, we are around <clears throat> 30, I think. We've um, we've recorded almost 50. We're a little bit ahead of ourselves, so we're going to take a little break in the summer. But um, it's been such an extraordinary journey, it's, it most specifically for me to, to have a co-host in Alexandra. I, I don't know. I, I don't think I'd be nearly as... Uh, enthralled with it and, and, and trying to consistently make it better and, um, provide more to the audience. If it wasn't, if I didn't have a, a partner in crime, we're just having a blast working together and working off of each other. And, you know, we have different strengths and different weaknesses, which is lovely. And so that melds together and, um, it's been going great. We got, um, one cool thing we got, um, awarded, um, iTunes top 10 new and noteworthy or when we, so in, in, we, we launched in February. So I think we got that in, in April. Um, so it was cool to just be like, okay, we're, we're here. Cause you know, you work on it. We've been working on it for months before we launched, you know, you're, you're deep in the trenches. We, we launched, you know, we had 20 episodes in the bank cause you want to be, so it was, um, it was cool to just be out there and hit the airwaves and, and, and know that it's really happening. And, um, uh, we're always encouraging, uh, criticism. Like I want critical feedback, right? I don't want to just hear like, Oh yeah, it's great. Just like you do too. Cause that's how you really, really get, get better and, and offer more of what people are needing to hear. And what was the feedback so far? I keep saying it because no one has taken me up on it yet. Um, and I appreciate that they like what they're hearing. So we're going to keep going, but, um, I, uh, 
you know, we we are we are our own worst critics, though, right? Like Alexander and I have a list that's you know yards long of of improvements that that we want to continue to make. Um, uh, it's it's interesting having a co-host because you you really have to read and feel each other, right? So that you don't talk over each other. So that was the first hurdle. But I think we're feeling good in that in that in that realm now. It's yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I I totally agree with that because being a co-host with Toby, you know, yeah. I mean, we've like I shared earlier, we've almost done a hundred plus interviews and now obviously the natural progression for me was to get into the podcast half the time when toby's behind beside me i'm just like kind of looking looking next is he done is he gonna ask a question it's about finding that synchronicity yeah. as it's well. like body language you can see i can it i is. can see like she's got about 10 things she's dying to spew out or like she's blank right now and then i'm like okay i'm gonna step in it's cool it is it is and, and sometimes when toby just right then there was a long gap of silence it's like okay i think it's i'm out yeah but i think it's it's one of those things where you just get better and as with anything um you know it's a work in progress it's just always being a perfectionist and always trying to strive for more and i think while we're on the topic of striving for more i know you're a perfectionist we both are (laughs) in our own levels and and being a part of this movement do you at times feel like you wish you could do more and you're you're not doing enough oh my gosh i think i think we might all be just completely overwhelmed and plagued with that you know i mean the the lives that are lost even on a daily basis like just when you asked me that question um in the us alone 264,000 chickens were killed oh wow just you know, so it, the the magnitude of it, the expanse of it all is completely mind boggling and totally overwhelming. But if you think of it that way on a daily basis, an hourly basis, and you allow it to creep in and totally take over what you're doing to the point where you cannot be your best self because you're exhausted, you're overwhelmed. Um, you're swimming in all of this m- misery, bringing it up for yourself all the time. You can't be effective. And that's, but that's been a long journey to, to really recognize that. I've had a few mentors in the movement who have told me, told me early on, Dotsie, you absolutely have to keep humor in your life. If all else fails, unplug everything, go downstairs, sit on the couch, turn on Netflix and watch every comedian on Netflix. You have to belly laugh. You've got to keep humor because that's the first to go in in something like what we're doing, right? Is is it's like it's none of this is funny. So um, it's it's um you know just getting a great mentor is one way uh, that that's been through this for a long time. I think has been uh, one way for anybody to help them through overwhelming times in whatever space they're in. Cause there's, lo- there's lots of other movements that are overwhelming, not just ours, but speaking between you and me, right? Like we know how this feels and we know, um, the expanse of it. And, and it's, it's, it's very hard to separate that on a daily basis from that to just drilling it down to the work that you're doing every day, every minute, every hour to make it better. Maybe you could run us through where you were before and and what you were feeling. How did you transcend those thoughts at that time with the mentors that you had? Yeah, I think my main feeling was, you know, who am I to be slowly, what seems like slowly and not impactfully trying to speak up? Because in the beginning, 
I didn't feel like what, what I was doing was reaching anyone. I didn't feel like it mattered and I didn't feel like it was effective or, or, and I, I would definitely start it out a lot more of an angry person. I mean, I'm still angry about what goes on, but I, I mean, mm -hmm. that's more for me to process through. I don't put that out there because I don't think that's the way to change hearts and minds and to really bring people in. You have to empower people. You have to make them feel like the hero in the story because they're the ones that are going to make the decision for themselves to change what they eat. We can't force people. We can't tell people. We can't yell at people. You know, we can't say, look at this. You have to watch this. No, that's not the way to do it. So I, I think I just felt you know, like overwhelmed in, in how am I going to, um, do the best work every single minute of every single day to make this better. And in the beginning, I just felt so incapable, you know, it's not like we have training in this, I, you know, so I, I just, and, and coming as athlete like you, that's what I was used to. It was like, give me the program. I'm a really great student. I will follow it to a T and I will deliver results. And then this, this whole world, this whole activism, this whole being in this movement, you know, there, there, there wasn't a blueprint. And I just felt, I felt like a kind of like a fish out of water. How did you move towards being an activist to start walking to the steps of being a leader, which you are right now? What were the kind of the first steps? Well, I'm still an activist because that's, that's what I feel like I'm doing um, at the core of it. That's, that's who I'll always be. And I think really, Luke, the difference was I just started listening more. I started talking less and screaming less and listening more. I started listening to my parents in terms of their, because they made the transition to and they're 99% uh, vegan, plant-based. Um, I started listening to their, their friends, their age group. I started listening to my sister. I started listening to what she was hearing me say and how that was landing on her in relation to her children and the way that she was bringing them up and the nutrition that they were putting on their plates. And I just started listening to strangers. I started listening to people on social media. I started to listen to just any, anybody and everybody that would give me some kind of reference or clue to what made them want to make behavior change. Because at the end of the day, that's all we're after is people um, making behavior change in their life, making a decision to change what's on their plate. Because once we stop the demand for animal foods, then there will be no more animal foods made because, right? So yeah, li listening. And that changed everything. Speaking to people in the street, your parents, what do you think are some of the factors or the barriers that prevent people from changing? One big one is um, their, the long-standing belief system that has been entrenched in all of us since we were little tinies, um, that animal foods equal strength, they equal health, that they're necessary. That's the big thing with uh, with milk. They have a lot of people believing that the nutrients in milk can only be found in cow's milk of all the species. Like, you know, like it's really ridiculous when you say it out loud, you know, but calcium, potassium, magnesium, these are things that are, can only, are only in cow's milk. And so they want to do good by their family and they want to do good by um, their children. And so they are afraid to make changes because the industry has made them believe these things for a long time. So I think belief systems are a big barrier. Um, cultural systems are a big barrier. You know, people connect 
um, certain types of food with their family, with where they're from in the world, uh, with their culture, with the holidays that they celebrate. So cultural barriers are, are also big. Um, and then I think people, uh, thirdly just have behavioral barriers because people are resistant to change. You know, we're, 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 we're set up to be, um, I, I think human beings like to feel, uh, organized and like they're on a, on a certain path. There's studies that say that people definitely look away and, uh, tend away from chaos and towards organization. And so when you ask people to completely change what they're doing and what they're doing on their plate, which is three, four or five times a day, it makes them feel chaotic and stressed and, and worried. And so that's, that's another barrier. I think it's basically just challenges everything that they know and they, they used to know and yeah. challenge their whole belief system. I think that's definitely a big one. So, I mean, you mentioned dairy and I definitely want to get the lowdown on dairy for, for those people that are still not aware in that sense, maybe run us through why it may not actually be the case. Well, I could certainly kind of run you through the life of a dairy cow and then can certainly run you through some of the inhibitors to performance and health that um, cow's milk causes. But so, yeah, life, the life of a dairy cow from from, from day one, I, I think people, there's many people, because I've met them, you've met them, that don't even realize that cows have to be pregnant, right? They're just not free-flowing of milk, just like no other species is. So they're forcibly impregnated, right? There are only cows out there making love. Um, so that is an exploitation of the female reproductive system, in my opinion, and, and, and many others, 100%. And then they have a gestation period for nine months, the same exact amount of time as a human does. They give birth to their baby, their babies are taken from them, depends on the farm, right? 24, 48, 72 hours, family farms, maybe a little bit longer, but let's be real with 7.7 billion people on the planet. Most of the dairy is coming from very large industrialized farms. Those babies are taken away within 24 hours, literally dragged away from them so that they can be hooked up machines for humans to drink their milk, their, their, their mother's, the mother's milk for that baby. And then while she is still lactating while she is still being um, milked, she's impregnated again. So you're drinking milk that has 15 sex and pregnancy hormones in it because she is now pregnant again, because God forbid the cows have a dry period. That's what they call in the industry. They don't want them to ever be dry that, you know, it's they're, they're, they're machines they're producing for us. That's how they believe it. And, uh, they're not their own individual selves and they are not allowed to have their own individual lives or relationships with their children. So the children go to back into the dairy industry or they go for veal or they're raised for, for meat, uh, you know, and, and most people don't know, you know, that the, the dairy cows themselves, they have about a four to five year old, four to five year span in the industry. Cows can live upwards of 20 years, but it's so brutal and so hard on them that they only live for about four to five years in, in, in the industry before they stop producing at the rate that the industry needs them to produce um, their milk. And so the dairy cows, those are your, the, that's your fast food because it's not the type of meat that is going to satisfy the taste buds of a fine dining steakhouse uh, because they've been just, you know, I don't even what their bodies have been through. I just explained over and over and over and over again. So that's your McDonald's hamburger is a dairy cow. Um, 
And I think, you know, a lot of people think around the world, you know, I'm not really hurting anything. They're just milking them. Um, but given the, the, the knowledge that you have now, since I just explained the process, um, you know, the dairy industry is the meat industry. I mean, they're, they're eventually killing them. They just have to go through horror for four or five years before they die. So in, for me, in my heart, it's much worse. I mean, beef cows, they kill them in about nine months. So that, you know, pick your, you know, it's all kind of awful, but, um, but because of their high content of sex hormones, so high levels of estrogen, progesterone, um, you know, medium levels of testosterone, high levels of cortisol, which is our stress hormone. Um, milk also has cow's milk as does, you know, a human mother's milk, um, has protein in it. And it's, that sounds good. Of course it has protein. It's meant to, you know, grow a baby. It has protein, carbohydrates, fats, um, has two proteins, casein and whey and the protein casein that's in cow's milk. And it's also in mother's milk, um, has been shown and linked in multiple studies to proliferating our hormonal based cancers. So it has literally shown to grow prostate cancer cells and shrink prostate cancer cells in Petri dishes by the more casein you add or take away. But it's also been linked to breast cancer, um, ovarian cancer, uterine cancer. So the hormone-based cancers and, and, and um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of obvious of, of why the, with, with the uh, strength of the casein, there's um, 26 grams of cooked casein in a liter of cow's milk. And in a human brother's mother's breast milk, there's only three grams of casein. So it is a really strong, active growth hormone um, that we're putting into our bodies that in an adult body, we don't want the growth hormone anymore. The little baby cow needs it because they're going to grow. But in a human, it's growing cells that we don't want, cancer cells. We don't want that growth um, encouragement. So for an athlete, you, you have all sorts of different issues with, with cow's milk. Um, because of the inflammatory response that cow's milk um, happens in a human body, um, because it's a foreign substance. I mean, that's what it is. It's not, it's, it's not made for humans. So it's a foreign substance. And so anytime something comes into our body that's filled with molecules that are, uh, foreign, our body creates antibodies, which creates inflammation and inflammation is a complete, uh, chronic inflammation. I should say acute inflammation. Like when you sprain your ankle is, is, uh, you know, your body healing, but chronic information, inflammation over and over and over and over again, brought in by the foods we eat exacerbates the inflammation that we're already experiencing from hard training and really inhibit inhibits your repair process and your adaptation product process. And adaptation is, you know, that's what we want as athletes. I mean, we want to recover, but what we want to do is adapt, right? Which is growing stronger and building more muscle tissue and um, building a larger blood volume and a bigger blood and oxygen capacity. For me, I mean, I know the, the impacts of the dairy industry, but for you to kind of sum it up in a, in almost a TED talk, that's really important for people to know because I, I personally didn't know that um, the dairy cows were slaughtered after five years. What's what's the average lifespan of a, a cow? I, I mean, the average might be 16 or 17. I personally know cows on sanctuary properties that are 24, 25, 26. That's right, old yeah. though. So, but you know, eight times what we give them, yeah. you know? And beyond yeah. that, I think 
whether you know living on to 16 but i also think these cows also know their their fate of course they do and and we just i mean obviously human beings we've just created that so that we feel better about eating them or eating their products or materials right i mean everyone i think most people think that you know they think chickens are stupid but they don't think eagles are makes sense that i mean they they, they don't think egrets are but they think ducks are stupid you know makes sense of that they're all birds so it's it's just it's it's ridiculous, right? It completely ridiculous, but it's what people have to do to uh, make sense of eating them. It's the same for chickens, isn't it? We oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's way shorter for chickens. Chickens are more, you know, twelve to sixteen weeks, and then pigs are slaughtered at about six months. So. Um, you know, that's that's another aspect that people don't realize. They don't realize that every almost every meat that's on your plate is a baby. You know, people are like, oh, I don't have veal. Well, if you're not going to have veal, you don't have dairy because the veal, right? We know the veal industry is the dairy industry. But if you don't want to eat babies, you don't eat meat because they're all babies. Six, you know, 12 weeks, six, the, the, the three main animals we eat um, are killed at 12 to 16 weeks, six months and nine months. So they're babies. I see so much of a fire in you. How did this whole journey begin for you? It began a couple of years out from Olympic Games. I competed in the 2012 um, London Olympics. And I was just exposed to um, what I was just talking about. Really just the truth that goes on behind uh, closed doors every day. And something inside me just burned, you know, said, Dotsie, this is a, com a horrible injustice. And I'm not going to play, uh, be a party to this anymore. And, you know, this is not what I'm going, where I'm going to, um, spend my money and this is not what I'm going to put on my plate. So I major transformation, you know, it was kind of uh, overnight and, um, had a lot of pushback from, from coaches, as you can imagine, and some dietitians within the system, um, but made it out alive, stood on the Olympic podium, um, few months shy of my 40th birthday, um, proved him wrong. And then just immediately got home from London, literally the next day woke up and was like, all right, I, I want to, I want to be an activist. I want to do good work. Um, I, I knew from the second I, I stumbled upon this information that I would want to do something with it post athlete career. So, um, I just, I did a lot of, a lot of volunteering, a lot of speaking, a lot of leafletting. I've, I've stood on a thousand sidewalks, giving thousands of pamphlets away at school campuses and was just doing all sorts of, um, a variety of activism and volunteer work like that. And then, um, 2018 rolled around and, um, I was, uh, watching the Olympic trials and saw a commercial, uh, that they had been playing. I had seen similar commercials, um, that was trying to sell cow's milk to athletes using Olympic athletes and their incredible stories. Um, and, uh, trying to, to peddle this product, um, making it, seem like in order to be a, a great athlete, you have to drink the milk of another species, which is, again, sounds so ridiculous when you say it out loud. Um, and I just said, you know what? It's time to stand up and say this just isn't even the truth. There's many, many, many athletes that are not drinking this substance and are incredible uh, athletes and thriving. And so I just got together a team of athletes, Olympic athletes, um, and uh, a wonderful funder and passionate people who said, let's put on 
a commercial on NBC at the closing ceremonies, the Olympic games, 2018. Um, so this was only like five weeks after I had seen this commercial and had the idea. And so we did that. And that was, that was the, the, the 32nd switch for good spot. And, uh, we just, we just haven't stopped is basically what happened after that. Based on the last shit, you mentioned that the ad was meant to be shown at a specific time, but it got pulled last minute. Maybe you could share about that. Yeah. Talk about, you know, uh, the power of the dollar. Um, we were airing in, we had paid to air in six markets across the United States. So during the closing ceremonies on NBC and it would roll across the country, right? Start in Washington, DC. And then it was going to, um, you know, Dallas and, and Denver and out to LA and I'm out in LA. So I'm listening for it at, uh, you know, seven forty one thirty. they give you the exact schedule. I don't see the commercial. Don't see the commercial. Um, and what ended up happening, fast forward, is somebody either from the dairy industry or from the U.S. Olympic Committee called NBC after they saw it air in Washington, D.C. So it aired twice in Washington, D.C. Someone called, asked NBC to pull it. NBC obliged because they get, you know, many, 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 many more millions of dollars from them on a yearly basis, right? Not just during the Olympics, um, from both dairy and from the USOC. And they pulled, uh, they, they pulled the commercial and we had a contract that, to air it and we paid our money, which was, you know, not cheap as you can imagine. Um, so it's, we, it, they did give us our money back NBC the next morning we called and, you know, of course, like what is going on? Um, they wouldn't really tell us exactly what took place. Um, but it, you know, it's obvious it was a call from one, one or the other, or both of those uh, parties. And, uh, we took our money and we aired it on NBC pre and post Academy Awards that next week. But you know, that's not the same impact as, as the closing ceremonies. So it kind of shows us what we're up against industry wise. What's the impact of uh, Switch for good these days? Because I know you've got your podcast. I mean, the event that you put on was just incredible. Are you guys doing something like that again? So what you're talking about is what, what we think is, was the first uh, really full, um, you know, athlete summit, if you will, like, like plant-based athlete summit. And, uh, it was, um, it was teaching and, and sharing and networking and, um, some amazing doctors, dietitians, athletes, all speaking. You were, you spoke twice, you were on a panel and you told your story and you were just uh, still one of my favorites of the whole entire two days. Um, but that is something that we're thinking about doing every other year because every 12 months, not enough has changed where we would, you know, you know, new research will come out in 24 months time, um, new, um, ways to share stories, new digital, uh, forums, uh, new ways to do things on Instagram, but every 12 months is a little bit too short of a period of time. So we're, we're thinking we're going to do that summit every other year. Um, but uh, we're working with um, a lot of this, a lot of different sporting organizations in the U.S. right now, and creating some partnerships um, of advocacy around um, health and performance um, in relation to not in consuming animal foods. So we've signed a few deals with, with a soccer club in Atlanta. I'm going to the Clippers next week to to present to them. So there's you know, along with just a lot of, right, a lot of digital work and social media work and the podcast, but really getting our, dialing in our niche here in the U.S. and then eventually in the world. But 
um, we have to continue to get more funding to be able to take it worldwide. <laughs> of course. So what is the USOC's response to what you've been doing? Well, I don't know. Right, so right around the time of the commercial, I got, as you know, I, you know, they were very threatening with me. Um, and very, just very bully-like is, is what I would call it. I mean, it's, it's threatening, but it's really just being bullies because they were just picking on little things that they, they thought they might have me kind of roll over and say, okay, I won't do that anymore. But once they realized they didn't have a leg to stand on because I wasn't going to budge and I, I just started ignoring them. Quite frankly, it was like, it just, if you just leave it, leave it alone. It's like a bad friend. Yeah. Like I, you know, the, I think a lot of people, I mean, they're the USOC, so I have to answer them. No, you don't, you know, until they serve you with papers or something, you really don't have to. So can they though? Can they, in, in that sense, serve your paper? Are you under any contractual agreement with the USOC where they can actually revoke anything? No, no, no. And I think, I mean, you know, they're, 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 they're bullyish in nature. I mean, I felt like that when I was an athlete, but I, I mean, now I'm, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not under their jurisdiction anymore, if you will. Right. I'm not an athlete. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not an Olympic athlete. I'm not trying to go to the next games. So, uh, I have a little bit more, you know, freedom of voice and choice. And, and I guess the medals are yours, right? They can't yeah. really say, you know, you're doing this. We're going to take your medal. No, that no, no, no. Your merit. There's nothing in any rule book that I've ever read. Um, if, if they took away a medal, mine would be the first, um, because they probably want to, but, um, no, they, they don't have a, a leg to stand. That was earned, right? Fairly. You, you mentioned earlier about the USOC being bullies when you were an athlete. Maybe you could share, because when, when I look at Olympics and the Olympic athletes, I just think, wow, it's just such a glory to be there. And it's almost like a, a national pride. But what you're sharing is that it's a whole different ball game and a whole different scenario. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean to paint, to paint like, there's so many good people inside the USOC and in it, but as any business, yeah. I mean, they're a business, right? I mean, they're in the business to win Olympic medals. If they, if you don't win Olympic medals, um, especially in, in, in each federation, there's the U S Olympic committee, just like there's Olympic committee of every country. And then under that would be USA cycling, USA volleyball, USA swimming. The coaches in those programs, if they don't, win Olympic medals, they don't see their job the next day. I mean, it is a very much a four year cycle of, um, greed and money in terms of, you know, they get big bonuses from the USOC if they're producing medals. I mean, that's what they are in the business of, of making happen. So just like any other business, right. You, you've got, you've got, you've got some good, good folks and some bad folks. And, um, I just, I, I feel like one example, uh, the contract that they have you sign before you, uh, go to the Olympic games. So they, um, you know, as you're going through the process of, of maybe making the team and then making the team and then making the final team. And they really don't, most of the federations don't select the final teams until, you know, like I, I found out maybe, eight weeks out or something, you know, it's, 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 it's quite close and, and some sports are even, even closer. And so they make you sign a contract of all the things that you will and won't do, uh, as far as what you, what you'll talk about or say, or, uh, if you win a medal, what you'll do with the medal, where you can wear the medal, where you can use the medal, talk about the medal, all these rules. I mean, it's very thick and they have you sign it. Um, like, a week before you go to the Olympics. So that's an example of that's bullish behavior. There's no athlete on the planet 
that is going to read. I, I mean, you don't need, first of all, you don't really read it, right? You're like, uh, okay, I can't not, I can't not sign this or I can't go. So I think that the, um, the, the, the proper thing to do and the fair thing to do would be, have you look at it with your attorney, like a year to six months out you, they always know, have the long team sign, sign, you know, they always know who the athletes are going to be uh, a year out. You know who the pool of athletes. So it's just an example of their, you know, they just, they're not, I don't feel like they're set up for the athlete. They're set up for their business to win. Um, so it's, it's stuff like that. And those were the things they were nitpicking with me on when they were being bullies after the commercial, like, you know, they, they saw my medal in a, in a post that I, did when we were shooting the commercial with um it was really fascinating because when we, even during the summit you was we wanted to use a specific photo of you and you said no 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 we can't use that one because of the olympic medal that's in there well exactly no exactly i mean it's people are just shocked by it that it's my medal right i won it fair and square and there are parameters around um, when I can use it or when it can be in pictures and when it can't. And basically, if you look at it, though, if you look at the Internet, there are pictures of Olympians with medals all over them all the time. But they did not like that I was saying no animal foods in an Olympics. Olympic so not Dotsy. Everyone else, but not Dotsy. Yeah. Well, and anybody else that was behind, you know, that says, no, this is not a health food because it's one of their main sponsors. That's the only reason they get, they take a bunch of money from big dairy. So welcome to the world, right? So everybody takes a lot of money. Politicians take all their money from, from big, big animal agriculture over here in the States. Beyond that pharmaceuticals, they're all in a revolving door on the same table. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, you know, they, they only, they only implement it when they don't like what you're doing or it's going against what their big money sponsors are trying to sell. So, you know, and and they bring this clause up and, you know, like I said, I didn't even know that that's exactly what I had signed because they presented it to me like five days before I got on the plane. So yeah, not cool. Not much time there at all. Not much um, opportunity for you to really, Right. To look through right. everything. Because I mean, if I, I look at even just uh, terms and conditionings for iTunes, you know, when you just want to sign up for iTunes, it's not just one 10, 10 clauses and it's it's a whole... Right. It's a long legal document and it's not something an average person would be able to comprehend or understand or, or even interpret. So you're right in saying where, you know, this is one year, you don't even have time to call your attorney. Um, and I, th- oh, no. uh, I think that's that's really, really unfair for sure. I, I really want to zero in on athletic performance and enhancing athletic performance, particularly with a plant-based diet, because I know Switch for Good is, is great about sharing inspirational stories about uh, athletes going plant-based, going dairy-free. Um, and obviously with the game chases, maybe you can share a little bit about some of the inspirational stories or the athletes that, that the Switch for Good movement shares about. You know... What really rises to the top is the focus on the difference between micronutrients and macronutrients. That to me is the big question. So many um, just general folks, athletes or not, sometimes even especially athletes depending on their sport, are completely saturated with thinking the only thing that matters is the macronutrients, so carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Um, and that only tells an inkling of the story. The real story for real 
essential and really, really solid repair and recovery and adaptation is in the micronutrients, right? It's in the antioxidants, it's in the vitamins, it's in the minerals. Um, it's being able to um, fight the oxidative stress that we put on our body through really hard training. And that's where the beauty of the micronutrients and antioxidants come in. And as I mentioned, I was not a spring chicken when I went to the Olympics and competed and was training. And so my competitors, I mean, the, the, the British team that got gold and, uh, the Canadian team that got bronze, uh, most of the, those ladies were 20 years, my junior. Um, I mean, they were, they, I mean, I, yeah, they could have been my kids. Um, my teammates were all significantly younger, but not by 20 years, more like by 10 years, seven years. So I was really fighting this, um, recovery machine, right? Because I'm almost 40 and I'm having to produce the same amount of work, if not more on some days. Um, and being able to go to bed at night and completely repair and recover like a 20 year old. Um, so the, the, the power of, of plants for me, I think was, was just in that ability to come back the next day, compete with my teammates, because like, I'll remind you, you have not made the team till you've made the team. So you're, you're with the team, but I'm also competing against the team. Um, and so as a grandma, so, um, my, my race was more in the, the 17 to 18 hours that I wasn't training, right? Yep, my race to the podium was in my repair. And that's where I think, and I know that the, the power of plants played a huge role because I was repairing, adapting, um, to the training, being able to handle more workload faster. And it was delivering more. Um, it was delivering more. I, I was able to deliver more oxygen to my working muscles because I had antioxidants rich diet, which increased my blood flow. Right. And it, um, kept my endothelium cells health, healthy, um, kept my blood vessels health, healthy, kept my arteries healthy. And if you don't deliver enough oxygen to the working muscle, then you can't produce the output that you have to produce in my event. So, um, yeah. In your event, maybe just give us some context. What was your distance? So it's it's like a middle distance. It's three kilometers, which um, the world record is uh, three minutes, 13 seconds. It's a, it's a three-person event but it's not a relay. You have to start with everyone and finish with everyone. So it's, we, 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 you use each other's strengths, um, exploit each other's strengths and try to hide each other's weaknesses basically in team pursuit. Um, if you Google it, if anyone's listening and, and Googles it, it's, it's a beautiful event to watch unfold. Um, when it's done well, it's gorgeous because it's, it's done on a velodrome, 250 meters, um, in length and it's uh, three kilometers is 12 laps. They have moved it up to four kilometers now in the Olympics, which is, um, 16 laps, but you use the banking of the velodrome, which is 44 degrees, uh, which is very, very steep. And you use the banking of the vel in velodrome, uh, to, um, modulate your speed and to, um, come off of the front where you're catching the most wind and the most air and the most resistance. And you fly up the side of the track and come back down behind that second teammate. Um, and so you do what are called exchanges throughout the event. So it really requires a mix of, um, aerobic and anaerobic power, which is 
middle distance, right? Like that's just track and fields, like the 800 meter, um, or maybe even a little bit of the 1500 meter, like those 800 meter runners are way more muscly than your 5k runners. Um, so that was my event, like that three minute event where you're calling on both systems. Um, I had to have an incredible amount of, um, uh, musculature in my hips and my glutes because track bikes are fixed gear. Um, there's no brakes, fixed gear, and we start from a standing start. So you have to be able to have the power to get that gear uh, moving, but you have to have a big enough gear on that once you get up to speed, which in the Olympics we rode 56 kilometers an hour average in our event, um, you have to be able to keep it at speed. So it's, it's yeah, it's, it's just, it's both systems. Right, wow. I, I can't imagine a fixed gear because I, I think of the time when I bought my my bike. My dad bought me a bike, and for some reason, it had the fixed gear option on, and I just felt like, oh, I can't really stop. You know, normally yeah. you can just kind of backpedal and just kind of freewheel. It's like, oh, you know, I'm going down the hill. Yeah. I'm just gonna chill. But in the fixed wheel gear, there's no stopping, no, isn't there? No. Yeah, you learn that really quickly, like the first couple times you are on the track, because if you if you stop pedaling, which obviously you can just do on a road bike, you can stop pedaling and coast it anytime you want. If you're, if you're moving along and you stop pedaling, I mean, you'll get launched straight off the oh, bike, easy. right? Because it just stops. So it's, like, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I've definitely been bucked, uh, many times. Moving from your athletic performance. I mean, that's just, just incredible. I mean, a lot of top level athletes are moving towards a plant-based diet because there's a lot to play. I mean, these athletes, are performing at such a top level and for them to go plant-based, some may say it's a risk, but what have you noticed with strength athletes? What about other athletes like mixed martial arts? What has your discovery been so far? There's bodybuilders. There are uh, baseball players. Six of the LA Dodgers uh, went dairy-free this year and they're all performing incredibly well. Um, Corey Seager, who's really famous over here, not not so much where you are, but um, is having his best season ever. And they, they have, uh, they've all dropped dairy. They haven't dropped all animal products, but they've all, they've all dropped dairy. Um, there's basketball players we're seeing, um, so many like speed, quick, um, strength-based athletes. And I don't know, I mean, I can just speak from my experience in the weight room, which was a huge part of, um, the strength that I was talking about. And I did a ton of training on the inverted leg sled because um, it's the only way that I could lift enough weight to, um, adapt and grow stronger. Um, because otherwise if I put it on my shoulders and did squats, like my upper body wouldn't be able to hold that weight. So it was inverted leg sweat that I lived on. And when I started doing a, the inverted leg sled and started that training, I was, um, you know, eating an animal based diet. Um, and I was able to move about 300 pounds on the inverted leg sled. Um, and I would do it times five sets times 60 reps times five sets. So that was a lot. Like that was, that was, I mean, I definitely had some like, you know, looks in the weight room. Um, like what, what is that girl doing? Uh, but by the time I switched over to a plant-based diet and was well into my plant-based diet eating and was um, just a few months out of the Olympic Games when I stopped lifting, um, I was up to just under 600 pounds. So about 585 pounds times 60 reps times five sets. So that just shows you. I mean, just from my own experience, it just, it's, you know, there are no foods in the plant-based world that are void of protein because plants are alive and everything alive has the macronutrients 
carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, right? There's even a little teeny tiny bit of fats in fruits. Like it has everything. So when you you put them all together and you make this gorgeous, you know, exquisite, colorful plate, you are getting more than enough of your macronutrients, but you are getting your micronutrients, which is what's making, which really is what is making you a badass as a, as a plant-based athlete. And I also think that because when you follow like a whole food plant-based diet, most of the time, the crap food that's out there, um, you don't eat anyway, because that doesn't fall into the category of whole food plant-based. So by default, you're going to eat a lot better. And, and I think also that's why a lot of people experience better body composition as well. That's a really good point is you kind of kick out the trash when you're eating whole food plant-based. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny when you say a, a vegan just had like a cheat meal. It's just like, oh, you really? Is that a cheat meal? Yeah. That's cheats are french day. fries. I mean, that's all there is to it. That's like, the, that is the cheat food. Yeah. That, well, and it, but I, now I don't consider it cheating because I'm not training at that level. So now I just get to have them because I want them. <laughs> I believe that there's no such thing as good and bad food is your relationship with it. Really. You're right. I mean, in that sense, yeah. Like, like I, I think, yeah, for me, my well, bad food is in a sense, animal, animal based foods, because at the end of the day, it's just uh, horror and, and uh, the decimation that it create. For me, that's bad food. But beyond that, it's about your relationship with it because um, French fries can be all right. You know, if you're having a good time, having a good chat with your friend every now and then. But if you're addicted to French fries and all you eat is French That's fries, a problem. I think that, that is a problem. If you look back at your life as an Olympian, what does being an Olympian mean to you right now? Um, well, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm very proud of the moment itself, but more because... Um, of my teammates that were standing next to me and what we fought through to get there together. I mean, that'll, that'll just always be, you know, one of the top 10 most special moments because of anytime you go through a lot of, you know, sweat and tears and journey with someone you, we almost felt like we were fighting a war, even getting there. So that, that, that for sure. But I, I think more, not more than that, but as much as that is just um, being able to use that platform for good. I mean, it really, you know, n nobody's going to listen to me on the athlete level. Um, and I think that's untapped potential in our movement, you know, and, and we're, it's, 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 we're growing and growing and growing, but I still think there's so much more that we can do and influence the general public from an athlete perspective from, for, for, uh, lean, leaning away from animal based foods and into plant foods is just the, um, you know, the, the platform that all that work produced to be able to do what I'm doing now. Yeah. So I guess if you want to, if you're speaking to younger athletes who are kind of on their own journey, like for you years, yeah. years before when you started into this whole, um, into cycling and everything that you're doing, um, what would you say to them? Well, I, I think the, I think the biggest thing is, is to encourage them to trust themselves, trust their intuition and live their truth. Because when you're, when you're young and you're talented and you're in a, a big system, um, you know, whether it's a, a, a sporting organization for that specific sport, like if you're into some feeder team into the MLB or you're going the Olympic route into the USOC, you're going to get a lot of um, a lot of opinions and a lot of advice uh, based off the business of that sport. And I want to encourage athletes to really trust themselves, trust their intuition and do what they know is right for them. And if they don't know what's right for them, 
lean on the people that are supporting them because they love them, not because they can get something from them. I love it. I love it. I guess right now I want to kind of shift gears to a little bit about your personal life. And, and I guess I just think that you and Kirk and I met both both of you at Search for Good and you just have such a great and connected relationship and, and you're always you know, you're always sharing so much about him. And was was this relationship? Yeah. I, I, I ask this because, you know, people may draw inspiration from the connection that you have with each other. And, and for me, I'm fortunate enough to have to be with someone whom I dearly love and feel connected and feel in sync with. So was it always this? Was it always this way with you and Kurt? Yes, it was. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I our, our connection was was really rich and deep from day one. I mean, I fell in love in the moment I saw him. I, I'll, I'll say that it happened and people are like, no, and it's like, no, really in, in that very moment. Um, and you know, gosh, right. It's, it's, it's a, it's a journey though. And it's, it's, you know, a lot, a lot of, it, it is a lot of work. It's like anything else. I don't know why we think that we can you know, be such perfectionist as being athletes or business owners or activists. And then the relationship's just going to run itself. Um, so it doesn't, right. It's a, it's a lot of, a lot of energy and effort, but I think, you know, I have the, this immense amount of respect for him and in our marriage and, and a lot of successful marriages, I find that to be that that kind of thread, you obviously have to have a, con a connection. You obviously have to have a physical connection and an emotional uh, connection for sure, but uh, and deep love for each other. But as the as it as it as the years go by, if you don't respect that person, I just think that um, just the, the 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 real nucleus of the relationship it gets damaged. And that's when you see, um, you know, divorces and, and, and that, that's, a, I have this, he's, he's just, he, I just respect him more than anybody else on the planet. I think he's the, 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 just the, the, he's, he's, he's just a complete and total genius. He's a diehard hard worker. He's good to the bone. I mean, there's not a bad, he's just any, any parts of him. And I just really respect who he is as a human and who he strives to be every day. And I, and I, I, the, the longer we go along in marriage, the more I recognize that that's the ticket. That is that, that respect has to stay and it has to, it has to grow, you know, it, it, in, in, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how he feels about me, but that's how I feel about him. <laughs> Well, I'm sure it's it's mirrored back to you, Dotsie, no doubt. What's next, Dotsie? What's next in, in your 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 fiery world? Well, we are just um just pushing forward and thriving on and and working hard at Switch for Good. I mean, I think this is going to be uh, my my life for a very long time until we have no more animal agriculture, which I don't really know if we're gonna see in our lifetime, but um lots of exciting, um, new initiatives and, and campaigns popping up, but I'm, I'm pretty focused on switch for good. And, um, it, it feels good. It feels scary, um, every day because I've never been an executive director before of a nonprofit or an executive director of anything. So, um, I'm, I'm making mistakes, but I'm, I'm doing my best and I'm learning and we have a great team. So, um, yeah, I think, I don't know, Luke, maybe the next 10 years that you asked me that question, I'll have the same answer. Cause I, I'm just entrenched in, in, 
So knowing what you're like, I know if we speak 10 years, you'd probably be miles and miles ahead. So, and I'm so excited to see this whole journey unfold and, and, and be a part of it at some capacity. This is something that I love to ask um, all the experts and everyone that I speak to. Like if you had a magic wand and you get that one wish yeah. right now, what would that be for, for the world? Oh, maybe the ability for everyone to see the world through an animal's eye. Then they would realize they're not stupid and they share love and give love and have experiences and have families and have rich, deep emotions. And they would just experience like what it would be, what the, what it would be like to be a cow, what it would be like to be a pig. And then, and then they would know. And um, the final one is, what does being awake mean to you? Oh, I love that because that reminds me of your book. Um, <laughs> so that's the first thing that comes to mind, Luke's book. If you haven't gotten it, please do. It's amazing. Thank you. Uh, dive right in. Thank you. Um, gosh, yeah. I, I hope, I don't want this to sound negative, but I mean- no, awake no, 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 you, no. Is like, it is what it is. Wake the fuck up, people. <laughs> a little bit for me. Yeah. Like, right, yeah, right, exactly. Awake is like, come to the other side of the matrix. Like the matrix, the blue pill and the red pill, like we talk about that in this movement. It's like, do you want the pill that tells you the truth or do you want the BS pill where you can just, you know, complete living living in miserable oblivion? And, and uh, take the pill and wake up and open your eyes. It's That's the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> definitely come to Zion. Zion is a much more it's a much more happening place in the real exactly, Matrix exactly. World yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. Knowledge is power and truth. So, how can people get in touch with you, or how can people find out more about what what you guys do? Yeah, well, it's super easy because it's Switch for Good everywhere. So it's Switch the number four good. So that's important to know. But we're we're Switch for Good everywhere on um, Instagram and Facebook and our website switchforgood.org. Um, and then I have fun every once in a blue moon on Instagram as a vegan Olympian <laughs> when I when I go on, which is not often, but I try. Um, but that's a great community. I mean, Instagram's an amazing community, and there's so many plant based. Um, athletes on there that are brilliant at Instagram and are doing great advocacy work there on their own. Indeed, indeed. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Dotsie. Thank Thoroughly you. enjoyed our chat. Thanks, Emil. Incredible. Dotsie is such an inspiration to me, achieving so much with her life. Her drive and desire to make a change to the world is so amazing. For more information, any links or resources mentioned in this episode or to find out how to connect with Dotsy and to find out more about Switch for Good, visit awakemethod.com slash podcast. This is Luke signing off now. Until next time, live once, eat plants. Bye.